Thank you, brother. It's good to be here in the house of the Lord. I'm sorry to hear that the pastor and Bob are feeling poorly and um, trust that they'll recover from their trip and be back with us real soon. Good to have our visitor today, first time, and it's good to have a couple of visitors, friends of ours, that's what this Don, uh, Don, uh, Ron and, and Madeline, it says Don, she has my name, you think I, I think I think I could remember that, but at my age, I don't even remember who I am half the time. I lived in Florida for the last 21 years before moving here to Vegas, <clears throat> and um, we had a lot of gated communities for seniors, retirement communities that had security on the gates, and people often wore name tags to make yourself friendly. And uh, I realized, not having been there too long, that uh, many of us had to wear that name to remember who we were, because um, that is the land of a lot of senior citizens. Well, it's good to be able to speak today. I haven't um, spoken here but once before in the three years that we've been members here, but it's always a privilege, whatever the time and the occasion, to preach the Word of God. And uh, at Spatial today, you know, the Lord manages things much better than we can. Uh, I'd never heard that song before. I don't know if that brother wrote that song, or uh, is that a song he wrote? No. No. Okay, I didn't know. I never, I'd never heard it, but it's a good song. And what caught my attention right away, I thought he was going to sing my text. Because I'm going to be preaching out of John chapter 14, if you'll turn there, please. But he did the introduction to the passage that I'm going to select. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 15. I appreciate you standing in reverence to the Word of God. Beginning in verse 15, If ye love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and he in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, another man named Judas in his company. Judas says, uh, Lord, how is it that thou wilt, uh, that thou wilt uh, manifest thyself unto us, and not 
unto the world, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him, and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth, uh, he, he that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, Excuse me, I misread that. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the world and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Let us pray. Father, we come to thee this morning and grateful, Lord, for the privilege we have again to preach your word. And Lord, how we thank you for the uh, blessed Holy Spirit that makes these things live in our hearts today. Help us now, Lord, I pray as we Bring the message you laid on my heart that it might touch the hearts of those that are here, that we might find comfort in your word and a challenge as well. We ask this now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This passage here in John's Gospel, you may know or may not know that this is the beginning of the largest recorded sayings of the Lord in consecutive fashion. Beginning in verse 14, uh, chapter 14, it goes all the way up to chapter 17. And uh, we have a lot of great truths found in this passage. The section of scripture that I asked to have you uh, stand and uh, watch, uh, listen as I read, is concerning the promise of the Spirit. And all the years that I've pastored and preached, I know that I have preached thousands of messages. I uh, kept a record of the sermons I preached, and I used to foul back when I typed on a typewriter. You kids may not know that, but that's something they had back before computers. And uh, I would type all my messages out. I was very organized, very disciplined. I had them typed in a very certain way that I could fold them and turn them, and you would not even know I turned them and slip out a page and change a page and turn it over. Uh, I was very concerned about typing my messages, and so I, I kept them. You say, well, you mean to tell me you preached the same message more than once? Yes. Have you ever sang the same song more than once? The message has a message. And it's not the message, it's the message God has for us at this occasion, at this time, that he laid on my heart as he had laid on other preachers and our pastor's heart as he leads us in his ministry uh, every Sunday. But I would file my messages by the book from which I preached them. And I was curious in 
got to checking right before I moved out here. I was teaching there at the college. I had a young student, a, a young man who was a Cajun from Louisiana. He had a hard time in school, had a hard time in Bible college, but he was very faithful and diligent. Had a family he had to support. My heart just went out to this young man, and I was about to turn over to him my life's ministries. <laughs> All these messages that I've kept and I found out that I had preached at least one message from every book of the Bible. At least one. I, I wanted that to be done, by the way. A preacher is called to preach the Word of God, not just a little piece here and a little piece there, or one subject here, or one subject there, but to preach the Word of God. And so I wanted to be able to say uh, that I had preached the Word of God. And uh, I was satisfying and finding out that I had. And I had some books, of course, you preach many chapters and uh, sermons from, but some, maybe just one. Some of those little minor prophets and that have one subject, and that was just one message. Some books, as you know, only have one chapter, Jude and others, uh, very small books. And I gave those sermons to him and I told him, I pray that they not be the messages necessary he preached, but he'd keep those in his library of his studies and notes from college and that he could glean from those perhaps uh, uh, things that I had written down and recorded. Now I told you all that to tell you this. I don't have a typewriter today. I couldn't even find a typewriter. I could still type at one time. I was proficient typer at a stenographer's level, which means 120 words a minute. I took advanced typing in college, taught us how to type to classical music and all that. And, and I was a good typer, but I don't even have a typewriter today. I have a little laptop or notepad or whatever they call it, uh, but uh, I have no means of getting anything out of it. Uh, I could get in a word study part, and, you know, and type a message out, but then I, I, I don't like to read off electronic stuff. Some preachers do. I just, old passion. I stay up here and preach. I don't get down there. I was taught to stay up here to preach. And God called you to preach. This is your area. That's yours. You stay there. I'll stay here. Okay? <laughs> And so that's just the way I was taught. And, but I used to fill my messages out very detailed. And, and uh, it gets me to my subject today. I can't say for certain, but I don't think I've ever preached a message on the Holy Spirit before. I confess that to my fault. Because, oh my, my, how we need to know of the person, the God, the Holy Spirit. And this subject here talks about him coming. He's called here in our passage the Comforter. What a beautiful title. What a beautiful uh, name to be given. The Comforter. As I grow older, this year I'm going into my 84th year, uh, this year, I also, if I lived through the summer, 
I will celebrate my diamond anniversary as a Christian. I was saved at the age of nine, and uh, this summer will have been 75 years. I'm in my 75th year now. God's been good. I haven't always been good. God has been good all the time. Whether you're in an accident, like our brother was in the other day, he testified about the goodness and the care of God, or whether it's just a regular day. God is good all the time. And I thank God for that. But I, I don't have a typewriter. I don't have any means of printing. I have to write. And you notice, I, I shake a lot. I'm not scared up here. I feel very comfortable when preaching the Word of God. But my hands do shake. And whenever I try to write, they really get shaken. And you know, if you ever have hands that shake, the more you try to control it, the more it wants to shake. I told you all that to tell you why I, my message won't be as easily for you to understand, because I can't understand it either. <laughs> I wrote this out, I think, last Thursday, and uh, I made some changes and notations on it. I've got two pages. I'm going to have to get my glasses back on. I won't see anything. But now let me tell you something about this person of the Holy Spirit. To look at him, first of all, you know that he is God. God, just as much as God the Father, God the Son, it's God the Holy Spirit. God the Father in the Old Testament is the one who relates and communicates with man. Jehovah God, the Creator, who walked in the coldness of the evening with Adam before the fall. The God that Abraham knew and Moses and David and all those Old Testament characters. It's always God the Father. Then the great incarnation recorded in the Gospels. We have the account of the incarnation, Christ coming. And for fulfillment of the promise of God before the world began, God ordained that he would come, be born of a virgin. We study about him. We read about him. We have the four gospels that tell us about Christ and his ministry, his person, his love, most of all, his sacrifice, a very pivotal point in all humanity is the sacrifice. Before his sacrifice, as our Sunday school teacher says, the Old Testament, the sacrifices just covered our sins. They couldn't take them away. They had to be done every year, always covered. John the Baptist pointed to Christ and said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. He takes them away. And before then... We had a Savior who they claimed by faith in God and his promises in the Old Testament were saved just like we're saved today by the blood of Christ. They look forward to the cross. We look back to the cross. But there's only a short time, 30 years he was here. His ministry was only three, three and a half years. 
but then he's taken away. He, this passage recorded in John 14, 15, 16, 17 is a preparation of his disciples. He knew he was going to be going and, and all their teachings and their knowledge was given by him and as he sat at his feet and he taught them and he discussed with them but he wasn't going to be there. He knew his crucifixion was coming. In fact, when these chapters end, his, his process toward the cross begins. But he wanted to not leave them comfortless, as he says. So the Father, in his plan for all eternity, his plan was to create man, and he knew man would fall, and so he planned that Christ would come, and he did. And he planned for the ministry of the blessed God, the Holy Spirit. That's today. That started when Christ left, when the Comforter came on the day of Pentecost. We're told about his coming in a way that he was, he was always present. He's God. He, he has no beginning. But he, in the Old Testament, he came on some. He was in some. Some of them he was taken out of, Samson. Uh, and, and we have a different ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. But he was present, always present. But in the New Testament, he indwells. Oh, what a blessing. You know, in the Old Testament, we're reminded of the, the, the twofold work of the Holy Spirit. He came with a message of common grace. Common grace means whosoever will may come. And not just to save people, but for all the world. Christ died for all. Although all will not be saved, yet he died for all. All might be saved. If you're here today without Christ, you can be assured that that death is for you. As if you were the only one that lived, he would have died for you. But let me tell you, that call common grace, that you who are saved answered. Maybe if you haven't, you may yet. But to answer that call of grace to salvation and you accept Christ as your personal Savior, you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ dying for your sins and being buried in the third day, raising for your justification. We're told in Romans chapter 4. Raised for, he was raised for our justification. That's the answer to common grace. But more so is written about another grace. It's called efficacious grace. It's a work of the Holy Spirit that he works on we who have answered that call. We who have the spirit, uh, the salvation of God in our hearts, who receive the Holy Spirit, who dwells now within us. See, in the Old Testament, he didn't live within them, and he lives within us forever, the Bible says. It's not for a short time, but it's forever. He lives within us. 
That's why it's so terrible that we neglect. The Bible tells us not to grieve the Holy Spirit, yet we so often do. We don't talk much about him. Yet for 2,000 years, his ministry of indwelling, every born-again child of God, yet what do we know about him? There are some 22 things that I've found that is part of this efficacious grace. Now, we'll not be able to handle them all like I would in a series of studies or sermons, but I want to separate them a little bit by that common grace and efficacious grace. That common grace of course, began at the time of your conversion when you got saved. The first thing happens that the Spirit of God does to you that you have no part in other than being a recipient. The first thing is He baptizes you. He baptizes you into the Christ, into the body of Christ. You're a member of this church Remember, you had to be saved and baptized and then you're voted into the church. So it's a baptism uh, is required before. But here, when you're saved, the Spirit of God baptizes you. You know the word baptize, we, we define it as dip. But it's really immerse. Sometimes we say we immerse people. If you do, you're going to be killing them. Because immersion means you put in and don't take out. We dip people, right? Baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and raise in the likeness of his, his death. Now, we, the Spirit of God immerses us. That's the first thing he does. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You, you, you know the scripture there in verse 13. But then he also... He, he does something else. Look in Ephesians chapter 1 with me, please. Ephesians chapter 1, two verses of Scripture, verses 13 and 14. And whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed uh, with that Holy Spirit of promise, And now notice, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. That's talking about your soul, friend. You've been purchased. You belong to God. And and the Spirit of God is given to us and dwells us as earnest. You know, now you say, well, what, what's earnest? Well, it's more just being earnest about it. Uh, earnest means like when you buy a house, you give them what is often called earnest money, or some folks call it a down payment, but, but it's technically earnest money. It's given in pledge that they, there will be a, a completion of the contract and you'll be completely purchasing the property. The Spirit of God 
is given to us as an earnest. An earnest of the salvation of an eternity that we're promised. We have him. We can be assured of that. We have the guarantee of him saving us. It tells in Second Timothy about him being our guard and guardian us, guarding us. I want you to go to Romans chapter nine, oh, for uh, chapter eight rather, in Romans, and I want you to see this business of indwelling because he lives within you. Now, now that's you have to think about that for a minute. He lives within you. God lives within you. If you're a child of God, he lives within you. Now you might think about the next time you carry him into some place you should not go. He's not going to leave you. You'll grieve him and drag him right into that same place. That same company same associations that the world tells you to come out from among them and be separate. When you get in that mess, you take him with you. He indwells you. And we find that out in Romans chapter 8. And listen to verse 9 and 10. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. He's talking to saved people. You always have to know what those pronouns a pronoun ye. You need to know who the antecedent of that is. That's, that's saved people. He's talking to saved. He's talking to people he wants to comfort. He wants to give them some assurance. He says, uh, uh, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. When you're saved, you're to live in the spirit. You have been born again. You have a new life within. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you, Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So those people who teach you how to pray for the Holy Spirit and all that after you get saved, and and they don't know their Bible, because if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit. That's not a question. And you don't pray for him. No place in the Bible do you see somebody commanded to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now you are commanded to be pray to be filled with the Spirit, but we'll maybe touch on that in a minute. That's a completely different thing. But be baptized, you're put in Christ. And he says, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Our brother was teaching in our Sunday school, and you miss out. In this church, you're missing out when you miss your Sunday school class, particularly if you're in the adult class. Now, I can't say about the other classes. I've not been in them. But this class I've been in, and that teacher we have is a God-sent teacher who knows his Bible. And, and if he wouldn't, we wouldn't be presently studying the book of Romans, I would have probably preached this message out of Romans chapter 8 because uh, that's the application of this message I'm talking about the Holy Spirit within you and how it works in you and, and moves you. But we know that the indwelling Holy Spirit, God indwells us, whether you like it or not, 
and he regenerates us. John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. You, you, you can't just be naturally born. You have to be born again. But the Spirit of God does that. He sanctifies us in Romans chapter 15, verse 16. But this verse here that we just read talks about being sealed. I like that. My mother, when I was a child, I was raised when people did a lot of canning. We canned stuff out of the garden and they'd go buy peaches and can peaches because we couldn't grow peaches very good up there. And uh, we just never had a peach tree, but we canned a lot of peaches. <clears throat> as a boy, uh, you know, I'm not going to go through the whole canning process, but you ladies that's ever done that know it's a very meticulous work, a very hard work, but a very rewarding work. And uh, we had a fruit cellar in our house. And uh, all these jars, I mean, walls were lined with stuff she canned. We called it canning, but they put it in jars. We didn't have a canning process. They put it in jars. And when they seal that, they seal it. If they got a proper seal, then that thing would be good next spring. We could down there and get some of those peaches or in the middle of winter. Oh, boy, is that good. I, my mind goes back to that, and I could just dwell there for a while, but we've got to move on. We, I, that canning process, but it had to be sealed. If you didn't get a proper seal, you better check your canning, which we did for a few days to make sure we didn't see stuff there we shouldn't see, you know, a little mold in that, uh, and make sure it was sealed good. We don't have to worry about that. God does the sealing. He seals us. Think how precious that is. John chapter 10, toward the end of the chapter, verse 28 or so, it talks about we who are saved are in the hands of Christ. And it says that Christ's hand is in the hand of God. And then we read scriptures like over in uh, Jude and other places uh, where it talks about being, as this passage we just read, of being sealed by the Holy Spirit. You know what that means to we who are children of God? Listen to this. People think they can lose their salvation. For you to lose your salvation, somebody or something has to break that seal of the Holy Spirit, has to pry open the hand of God, and has to pry open the hand of Christ to get to you. They're not going to do that. All the persons of the Godhead are involved in keeping you a child of God. That the Lord does by the Holy Spirit when you're saved. Have we ever thought Enough to thank him for that. Beside the common grace, this work he does, this efficacious work, we have what we call the service work, the time of service. That's dealt very clearly in chapter 8 of Romans. I can't wait to get there and hear Brother 
teach that passage and as he handles the Bible so well. I want to give you a commercial right now. You need to do whatever you need to do to arrange your schedule to get here for the 10 o'clock Sunday school and the teaching of our Sunday school teacher from the Word of God, studying right now the book of Romans, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And if you have the right Bible, the King James Bible, he's teaching it to you word by word. Listen, the Bible says he calls us to ministry. As a child of God, we're to serve him. If that wasn't so, he's a merciful God. Heaven's a much better place than here. The moment he saved you, he'd take you to heaven. But he leaves you here because he has something for you to do. He has a ministry for you, and he places you in that ministry. He doesn't place a soul in the same place. You read the New Testament, you find that, that he put Peter, as I mentioned in Sunday school, he, he put Peter to teach to the Jewish people. God used him also to open the door to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. We know that. But his ministry was to the Jew. He had some run-ins with Paul because his practice is Judaism-type Christianity. But he had a ministry that God sanctioned, that God called him to. Paul, he sent to the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 13, you find where the church at Corinth, at at, uh, Antioch, the church there set aside Paul and Barnabas prayed over them, commissioned them to go out and represent the gospel throughout the, uh, the, the area that they were in, the, the part of the world that they, they served in, and take the gospel. And they were sent out. That was their ministry. God, again, has a ministry to you. He has a ministry to our Sunday school teacher here to teach. He has a ministry to our pastor to lead this church. Some folks, you know, they, they think I'm a little weird. They, because I pastored for so many years, they call me pastor. Don't call me pastor. I, I don't deserve that title. I'm not worthy of that title. I am not a pastor. A pastor has a flock that God has placed him over. Only one shepherd to the flock, by the way. He's the chief shepherd, but he has an under-shepherd called the pastor. He has a ministry. But that doesn't mean he's the only one that has a ministry. We have Sunday school teachers. We have folks who are, are, are given the, uh, uh, the ability uh, and the uh, effectiveness of, of witnessing and winning souls of Christ. All of us to be a witness. All of us to have a testimony that God has placed some of us in special places. Go over to, uh, to uh, 1 Corinthians, I think it is chapter 12. And Romans, uh, we read where uh, God has a special ministry placing those in a certain calling. We read in chapter 8, uh, chapter 1 of, uh, of uh, Acts, chapter 1 and verse 8, 
where we're given the Holy Spirit for power. Power of God rests upon us. What's our excuse? Why aren't we witnessing to our loved ones? Why aren't we going out and knocking on doors? Ministered in Ohio, in a town of about twenty some, no, about forty thousand, I guess. And uh, I have a daughter still lives there, and I was there on staff as an assistant pastor. Then I went back as pastor, co-pastor for five years, and uh, I went had a regular visitation program, and we systematically knocked on every door in that town twice. That's not talking about other people we talked to. I mean, we went to their house and we either talked to them or left a gospel track in every house in that community. That's not to my credit. That's to the Spirit of God's credit. He empowers us to do that. I have nothing to brag about. Nothing. I wouldn't want to Confess my sins before this lot. But God knows my heart. And despite my shortcomings, more truthful my sins, in spite of my lack of initiative and surrender, God still can use me and he can use you. And I pray that you'll let God use you. The Spirit of God wants to work in our hearts. I'm, I see my time's about gone, so I'm going to change this up a little bit. I, I, I don't preach by the clock, but I'm respectful of the people's time. And maybe somebody here has a job to go to, some sick person to take care of, or just maybe a stomach needs to be filled. I don't know. But... But our services are advertised at a certain time. That's what we should stay to. I wish I could have taken you to Romans chapter 8 and take you through those verses down to about verse 17 or so in particular, but other verses as well. That's a tremendous chapter that talks about the children of God ministering with the Spirit of God in their life. You know, we have a Heavenly Father. We have a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have God, the Holy Spirit, that lives within us. Now let me clear up something. We don't have three gods. We have one God. Manifested in three persons. You cannot separate them. One is just as powerful and as knowledgeable and able as the other one. And when this Holy Spirit of God lives within you, Christ lives within you, God the Father lives within you. And if I was in that place in Romans, I could show you that so clearly. The Trinity is taught many times in the Bible, beginning with Genesis, right on through. 
Now, don't ask me to explain it in man's terms. It's beyond man's terms. It's God. Just like the person of Christ, 100% God, 100% man. We can't really understand that with a pencil and paper, write it down. But it's true. God's word says it's true. My challenge to you today is this. And by the way, that's the difference in teaching and preaching. I taught homiletics at the college. That's teaching people how to preach. And I, I've taught him, and, and I would always have a student would ask, uh, preacher, and that's what they usually call me because I am a preacher. I'm not a pastor. I'm a preacher. The highest title you could give me or me you is brother or sister. Do you know that? But I've had, I'd have a student ask me, teacher or preacher, professor, whatever, they'd address you different ways. But I had the same question often asked, what's the difference in teaching and preaching? I mean, really, when you think about it, when you teach the Word of God, it's almost like preaching. And God talks about the preacher-teacher and the gifts. But now, what's the difference? There is a difference. There's a difference in preaching and teaching. And teaching you impart knowledge. You give instruction, guidance, and in preaching, you do that as well. But if one thing in addition, you give a, a, persuade, a, a plea to act, to, to respond. And I wouldn't preach to you today if I didn't give you an, uh, an invitation or a, uh, an opportunity to respond. Now, what would, you, what would I ask you to respond to? First of all, if you're not a Christian, my plea for you and from God, answer that common call of grace to come to the Savior. He patiently waits. We're going to sing an invitation in a moment at number 384. We often think of it as an invitation to the lost people. But that invitation can apply to saved people as well. Because I want you, if you're not saved, to come and accept Christ. And I want you, if you are saved, to recognize the Holy Spirit's indwelling in your heart. Begin to search the scriptures to see what all God has given us and promised us the ability. I preached this message one time. And I just said this. And I'd walk around and just look at people and say this. I said, where in the world is that preacher going crazy or something? What, what? I'm, I'm doing, this is a message. Listen, to lost people, give up trying to save yourself. Surrender to God. He's done it all. And now listen, most of you here today are Christians. That same appeal to you in a different respect is this. 
give up trying to do this and do that. Your works are nothing more than a bunch of filthy rags in the eyes of God. What you do can only be done through Christ. I can do all things through him, but without him I can do nothing. And I want you today who are saved to just surrender. Quit trying to tell God what you'll do and what you won't do and how you do this and how you do that. And just get under the teaching of the Word of God and the preaching of the Word of God and the studying the Word of God yourself. The Bible tells us there in John that he's given to teach us all things and call all things our remembrance. That's you, that's me, that's not just the preacher. That's every child of God. There's no excuse. Let's stand together and bow your heads a moment as we prepare for the invitation.